Um, so um, the next part of the program will involve the presentation of the draft ProWay and the ProWay Health and Nutrition module. And the panelists are going, the presenters are going to be myself, um, Ruth Meinsendick, who is a senior research fellow in the Environment Production and Technology Division of IFPRI, Hazel Malapit, who is a senior research coordinator for the WEA and also, also for um, the Agriculture for Nutrition and Health program, Jessica Heckert, who is a research fellow in the Poverty, Health and Nutrition Division. Um, so that's the people who will present the index. It will then be followed by our trio of research analysts, Elena Martinez, Emily Myers, and Audrey Pereira, who will be talking about the WEA Resource Center. So I'm going to start by by talking about this whole effort of GAP2 for ProWEA, which is really about the measurement of empowerment. Um, hold on. Okay, doesn't matter. So, if you, have, if you were um, somebody in an agricultural development project, and you wanted to measure empowerment across your projects. You could be looking at a project which teaches women how to grow nutritious foods and vegetables and to prepare these for the children. You could have a project which is teaching small milk traders in an urban area to prepare and process milk so that it's safe. You could be a funder of a project that is organizing women into self-help groups and teaching them um, better agricultural production techniques as well as making it more nutrition sensitive. Or you could be designing an agricultural development project which has an element of gender sensitization in which fathers are getting to be more involved in teaching, in, in taking care of their children and also playing a role in choosing good food for them. How then would you measure empowerment across all these projects? If you didn't have a common metric to, to begin with, you would have a really hard time. So we therefore need a measure which enables you to compare empowerment across very different projects and across very different contexts. We, we want to have a measure that also captures the voices of men and women in these projects. And what we also want to note is that the projects themselves just provide the opportunity for empowerment. Women empower themselves. I think we are all fooling ourselves when we say, let's give them a chicken and they'll get empowered. No. So this is a rationale for GAP24 ProWEA, which is a portfolio approach to measuring empowerment. And it's quite a different enterprise in the sense that it's a portfolio of projects. There are 13 agricultural development projects which signed on to develop and test and pilot ProWEA. It was a consultative process in which the projects participated in identifying domains to include in ProWEA. Projects piloted the ProWEA modules for a ProWEA baseline and conducted qualitative work. After which, the index team validated and constructed the index, which is what you're going to see um, in a, a few minutes. We received feedback from project and stakeholders on the way that the index was constructed and also how it went in the field. Very importantly, 
um, the, the ProWare is also going to be used at end line. So it is also, an, it, it's not only a measurement tool, it's an impact evaluation tool. And by then, we hope we will have a standardized measure that has been used in a project context to measure women's empowerment and to assess how well the project has fulfilled its empowerment objectives. So why gap two? We always say what's measured matters. If you can't measure it and if you can't evaluate or monitor it, then it doesn't really, your objective may not have any teeth. So this learning and capacity development initiative worked with 13 development projects. We want to find out what works, what, what agricultural development strategies, what project strategies actually work to empower women. We also want to know what doesn't work. Are there particular gender strategies which are not effective in a context which, was, which were effective in other contexts? Are there, heaven forbid, gender-blind approaches in projects that ostensibly claim to empower women? <laughs> and lastly, how can you compare across a portfolio? So the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, USAID, and A4NH have all contributed to this effort because the first two in particular have projects which span at very many cultures and contexts, and they need to be able to compare across them. So these common metrics for comparability are really essential to find out whether projects are meeting their objectives. I'm going to turn you over now to Ruth, who will talk about the objectives of agricultural development projects. Thank you. As Agnes said, one of the activities in assessing this portfolio of projects was that we had selected ones that said they were gender sensitive and committed to, to women's empowerment. So then we wanted to look at what strategies are, are they using. As we dug a little bit deeper, we realized that not everything that says they're about women's empowerment was actually about empowerment. A lot of them were just benefiting women and some things were really going as far as reaching women, but not necessarily. So we ended up with this reach, benefit, empower framework, where we say uh, the, the objectives, um, you know, uh, might be just for reaching women, um, uh, including them in activities. Benefiting would be improving their well-being but uh, food security, income, health. So you could increase uh, women's uh, family income, which might benefit women, but if they don't gain control over that income, they are not empowered by it. And then empowering is strengthening, we've already heard the definition, their ability to make strategic life choices. So the, the strategies and activities of these different objectives would be different. And we maintain that having indicators that are aligned is important. So if, you're, if your objective is empowerment, and I've mentioned then these strategies, the indicators would be, we would want indicators of empowerment. If the objective is just benefiting, that's very important, and there are lots of standardized indicators to go with that. Um, you know, about sex disaggregated data for positive and negative impacts on nutrition or income or time use. A lot of projects, though, 
that say they are about empowering women are actually their indicators are just about reaching women. How many are included in a training program? We don't know whether that training actually benefited them or contributed to their empowerment. And so a lot of what we're doing here is trying to get these aligned. I'm actually quite happy to say that just this framework has been one of those aha moments where several uh, international development agencies are using this now for screening their projects. Um, in looking at the portfolio here, we did find quite a few different strategies of providing goods and services, strengthening organizations, building knowledge and skills, or influencing gender norms. Of those, the influencing gender norms are directly about empowerment. The strengthening organizations, again, most of those are directly about empowerment. Um, the goods and services and building knowledge and skills can be about empowerment or benefits, but you know, we're looking at each of those. So the implications of this framework are for projects to really consciously align their objectives, their strategies, their tactics, and their indicators. So that if they say, oh, women's empowerment is important, we're going to get on board with that, they have to can think through their, their strategies and indicators. Um, but for funders also, then, this is a tool for screening uh, proposals to make sure that they are aligned. Because a lot of the funding agencies do not have a lot of gender experts to, you know, reviewing proposals, but this is something that helps. Um, and there is this empowerment bandwagon right now, but a lot of things we seem have, they're just hooking onto that bandwagon and they're not with a motor to drive it forward. And then for projects and funders, we think this means that you need a suite of indicators that can measure empowerment at the project and the portfolio level. Uh, I don't need to go over the, the, the um, development of the WEA and how this is leading into the PRO-WEA, because that's already been touched on. So I'm going to then turn it over to Hazel to take us through um, the PRO-WEA. Thank you, Ruth. So if we want our projects to provide the opportunities to empower women, so you're in that last category column that Ruth just presented, what tool do we use to track progress? And so this led us to our starting point, which was the Women's Empowerment and Agriculture Index. And you already heard earlier this morning both Frank and Marie talk a bit about this history. So this was a tool that was launched in 2012. It was co-developed by USAID, IFPRI, and the Oxford Poverty and Human Development Initiative. And the goal was to measure inclusion of women in the agricultural sector. It was originally designed as a monitoring and evaluation tool for Feed the Future. Um, this tool is a survey-based index, which means it's embedded in a population-based survey that interviews both men and women in the same household. Uh, now, since the launch, WEA has been used in many contexts and settings. And so where in the world is WEA now? So we started with the three uh, WEA pilot countries uh, where we piloted the instruments, so Bangladesh, Guatemala, and Uganda. 
And then after it was launched, Feed the Future rolled it out to their 19 focus countries. But what happened next was this. Uh, Wea started going viral. So, um, you know, there has been so much interest in this new tool for measuring empowerment that, frankly, we were quite surprised how quickly organizations and projects took this up. So users found um, things in the WEA instruments that they thought were useful in their projects. They started looking at it, adapting it, modifying it, implementing it in their own projects. Now, while all of that is quite exciting, because I think it's expressing um, this huge demand for metrics on empowerment that projects can use. I mean, we knew this was filling a, a demand, and so that confirmed that. But it also raised some, some questions. So this meant that it became very difficult to compare and synthesize lessons across these different settings, across these different users. And so we have all these users. And by the way, this is an underestimate. These are only the cases we know about or who've reached out to us. So I'm pretty sure there are more out there that are not on this list. Um, and so, so that was the challenge. Now, what exactly does the WEA measure? So in the original WEA, we had a five equally weighted domains. So we had production, resources, income, leadership, and time. And these five domains are measured by a set of ten indicators which are weighted equally within each domain. Now what the original WEA had to offer included women's and men's empowerment scores that were assessed across those five dimensions in the five domains in agriculture. It provided a standardized measure that was internationally validated, and it allows for the ability to diagnose empowerment gaps, both because we have both men's and women's scores that we can compare within households, that was really important, but also because the way itself is a flexible tool. So you have one number that summarizes women's empowerment for a particular population or program, but it also you also have the rich survey-based data underneath that, which allows you to disaggregate and unpack the sources of those disempowerment. So this diagnostic feature of the WEA is what can help us figure out where to prioritize and where to put our attention to so we can close those empowerment gaps. So for example, in the Feed the Future baselines, they found that across many of their focus countries, the top contributors to women's disempowerment were a lack of access to groups, lack of access to and control over credit, and excessive workloads. And so having a diagnostic tool such as the WEA could really be useful in designing programs that can help address those gaps. Now, in all of these, what we're calling the off-label uh, uses of the way, so it was not originally designed for those uses, but that's how people started using it. They were really expressing a demand for a tool that did other things beyond what the way it had. So they wanted more adaptability to their project context. They wanted to look at other domains that were in there originally, like health and nutrition, which we'll hear about more from Jessica later. Um, issues of intra-household harmony, mobility, domestic violence. So projects thought these were areas that really affected uh, how effective their projects were, and so they were important to track, to be able to tell if their strategies were working. And then, of course, everybody wanted a shorter, more nimble tool. Marie talked about that. Everybody talked about that. So um, we wanted a tool. They wanted a tool that was easier to implement. So that's what they wanted. So how does Wea Pro Wea fill that gap? 
Now, before we get into the nuts and bolts of ProWea and what, what's in it, let's take a step back and think about what are we really measuring in an empowerment index. And I'm so glad Karen made this job really easy for me because she already talked about all these things. Um, so resources include the various uh, material human social resources that enhance people's ability to exercise choice. Agency refers to the, defining one's goals and acting upon them. And then achievements uh, refers to the actual achievements of those goals. Now, what was really interesting was that in our qualitative work, what we're finding was that, what we found was that women's and men's own understandings of empowerment echoed these dimensions. And so we thought this framework was really in line with what we're hearing from the communities themselves. And one key insight that we draw from these preliminary findings was that empowerment was not just about the woman herself. So an empowered woman is someone who can take care of others. And so it's not just about the woman, it goes beyond her. And so we thought that was really important to point out. Now in the WEA, as we've heard from Karen, we focus on the agency measures, which are often operationalized in terms of decision making. Now, why do we do that? Because when the way it was developed, we already had indicators, methodologies, and tools that measured resources and measured achievements. So we had methods and tools for measuring physical capital, social capital, human capital. Um, we had measure, you know, methods and tools and indicators to measure yields, profits. Uh, expenditures, nutritional status. And so we knew how to measure those things better than we knew how to measure agency. And so there was really a deliberate decision to focus on agency in the WEA. So uh, all the versions of WEA, in fact, measure these three types of agency. So the first type of agency is power within, or intrinsic agency. Uh, which reflects a person's internal voice, self-respect, or self-confidence. The second type of power is power to or instrumental agency. And this is the person's ability to make decisions in their own best interest. The third type of agency is power with or collective agency. And this is the power we get from acting together with others. So women acting together as a collective have a different type of power than a woman acting alone. Now there is a fourth type of power in the empowerment literature that is not reflected in the way, and that is power over. So power over is often associated with negative expressions of power, like uh, coercion or dominating others. Now, in our qualitative work, what we found was that power over was negatively viewed by local communities, and in fact, did not uh, was not reflected in um, their own understandings of empowerment. And so, for those reasons, we exclude power over in Proea. In Proea, what we've done is to make these links to the empowerment literature more explicit. And so these three types of agency are now our three domains. So intrinsic agency, instrumental agency, and collective agency. So recall, this was the, the original. Um, in the original WEA, we had 10 indicators in five domains. In pro-WEA, we have 12 indicators in three domains. Now, we talked a bit about how ProWEA is a direct descendant of the original WEA. And so, seven out of the 12 indicators actually build on the original WEA indicators with some changes. So, for example, in the intrinsic agency domain, we changed the uh, autonomy and production indicator that was originally in the WEA to focus now exclusively on the use of income. 
for the production and asset decision-making indicators in instrumental agency. Uh, we use stricter cutoffs for adequacy, so you need more input in those decisions to be considered adequate. And then what used to be the workload indicator, we've renamed to work balance. And we just thought this better reflected the broader definition of work that we use in this indicator, which covers both market and non-market primary activities and childcare as a secondary activity. And then group membership um, is the only indicator so far that has remained completely unchanged from the original. Now, now the more interesting part, I think, are these new indicators, which is um, based on what projects said they wanted to include in this measure. So under intrinsic agency, we have self-efficacy, attitudes about domestic violence, and respect among household members. And then I want to say something a bit more about attitudes about domestic violence, because this is particularly important um, in projects where we have some concerns that projects have the risk of doing harm from increased violence against women. And so this indicator helps us quantify this backlash by tracking whether there is increased tolerance of domestic violence. Under instrumental agency, we have mobility or visiting important locations such as markets or NGO training centers. And then in collective agency, we have membership in influential groups, which augments the original group membership indicator. So the final piece of the puzzle is the overall empowerment cutoff. So how many of the indicators should a woman achieve to be considered empowered? So unlike in the original WEA, which had five equally weighted domains, in PROWEA we have 12 equally weighted indicators. So in the original WEA, a person was considered empowered if they were adequate in 80% or more of the weighted indicators. In PROWEA, we've adopted a similar but slightly lower cutoff because of those changes in the domain structure. So in PROWEA, a person is considered empowered if they're adequate in 75% or more of the indicators, or 9 out of 12 indicators. So let me end with some results to give you a flavor of what we can get out of PROWEA. So this chart summarizes the extent of disempowerment among women and among men. So the length of those bars is the extent of disempowerment for those groups. Uh, the gap between the two bars tells us that empowerment gap between women and men, and as expected, women are more disempowered. Now the colors within the bars tell us how each of the indicators contribute to that disempowerment. So the bigger the area, the more important it is in constraining women's empowerment and men's empowerment. And so this is a really interesting way to compare disempowerment profiles between when, women and men. Now interestingly, Despite that gap between women and men, we find that the top two contributors to disempowerment are the same for both women and men, and it's around collective agency. And so group membership and membership in influential groups. And then the, the runners-up, if you like, the third and fourth um, important uh, uh, indicators, visiting important locations and respect among household members, are large contributors to disempowerment for women but not for men. And so this suggests that interventions to empower women might focus on improving mobility and relationships within the household. Now, all of those indicators I talked about are new to PROEA. And so the, well, except for the group membership piece. But collective agency sort of um, is the new piece there. But so in terms of all of those, those new aspects, these would be aspects that would have been missed in the original, in the original way. So, that in the nutshell is that in a nutshell 
is what ProEA is about. So the next question is, if you're working on a nutrition-sensitive agricultural project, what else do you need to measure? And for that, I'm going to turn to Jessica. Thank you. So the ProEA Health and Nutrition Module, um, is, I just have a separate set. Okay, that's fine. Um, so the ProEA Health and Nutrition Module is an optional module and a suite of indicators for nutrition-sensitive agriculture interventions that projects can use alongside the core ProEA in their impact evaluations. Some of you may be wondering what additional benefit this might provide. Many of our agricultural development projects that aim to empower women also have nutrition-sensitive objectives, meaning they want to improve nutritional status or direct determinants of it, such as dietary diversity. Um, they often aim to achieve this by increasing the production and later the consumption of nutrient-rich foods and by increasing women's income so that they're able to purchase key food and health inputs. There are a lot of intervening steps to go from production to consumption. Women who have control over whether a cow is milked or whether, whether the meat from it is sold might not be able to allocate certain foods to herself or her children or be able to seek health care on her own. The core pro way, um, and it's focused on, uh, and the instrumental agency part of it, um, focuses on women's inclusion in agriculture in the productive domain. The health and nutrition module focuses on instrumental agency as related to the direct determinants of her own health and nutrition and that of her children. These indicators are, are necessary to help us better understand the gender-related and nutrition-sensitive pathways in some of our projects. To apply the nutrition-sensitive lens to the development of this module, we kept three guiding principles in mind. First, they needed to reflect the food, health, and care paradigm that nutrition-sensitive projects in our portfolio used. So for example, in, ad in addition to improving just diets, they also needed to increase the use of, they often, often these projects aim to increase the use of maternal health services um, as part of that. Second, it needed to be life cycle sensitive and they reflect the fact that there are unique nutrition and health needs for women during pregnancy and lactation and for children and infants. Additionally, these are often the times in women's lives when they're least able to exercise agency. Third, it also needed to reflect the need for animal source, or also needed to reflect animal source foods, as many projects focused on livestock production and aimed to increase the consumption of animal source foods. Um, if my slides aren't, oh, here we go. Thank you. Um, so throughout this process, we 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 led we landed on seven indicators. The first two, shown in purple, are specific to women's own health. These are decisions about her own health and diet and decisions of her, about her own health and diet during pregnancy. To go into depth, just on this first one, a woman who achieves empowerment in terms of decisions about her own health and diet is either the sole decision maker or has significant input into all of the decisions related to whether she can rest when she's ill, what foods to prepare, and what foods she eats. The two indicators shown in yellow are decisions about her child's diet and decisions about weaning and breastfeeding. 
The indicator in red is decisions about seeking health care, both for herself and for her child, um, as related to both illness and preventative care. And then the final two indicators shown in green reflect whether she can make decisions to purchase food and health products and whether she can typically acquire these products by some means. To give an example of how this can be used, this graph shows the percent of women who achieved empowerment according to each indicator. For our current purpose, these are just simply the values averaged across all the uh, data from the six projects that piloted this module. You can see, for example, that 51% of women are able to make decisions about their own health and diet during pregnancy. 34% of women are able to make decisions related to child diet. Notably, there's room for improvement um, for products to have impact on, on all of these indicators. So, in conclusion, our presentations in this session have given you just a taste. I'm sure you're all eager to learn more about the PROWEA and use it in the evaluation of your next project. To guide you on how to do that, up next we have an introduction to the WEA Resource Center from Emily, Audrey, and Elena. Thank you.